0: and welcome to another edition of TGC Midweek. This week on the podcast, Michael and I are continuing our series, finishing up our series on the five points of Calvinism, looking at perseverance of the of the saints. Um, but before we do that, Michael, I got to ask, how was the retreat, man? We were off last week. You were out of town. What'd you do?
1: Yep. Well, uh, once a year, I get together with eight other pastors from across the country and one from Canada. And uh, we meet for a week in order to kind of decompress... Uh, to share about life and ministry with one another and to pray for one another. And so it's a great chance uh, to process, to pray, and also to relax with guys that uh, are in ministry themselves. Yeah. Where'd you go? We went to Hickory, North Carolina. Very good. uh, Which is just outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah, I've been to um, Asheville. Chilly. The leaves were turning colors, which nice. uh, was um, really nice to see. Uh, and it was uh, a beautiful place. Yeah,
0: A lot of good breweries in that part of, that part of the country. There are. We yeah. went to
1: one called Hickory Brewing Company. Nice. Okay. Uh, but that was the only one we visited this time around. I've not been to that one, but Brittany
0: and I went to Asheville last year, two years before Gus was born. And uh, um, I don't know if she'd appreciate me sharing this, but we went to <laughs> 18 breweries in three oh, days. Hello. <laughs> So <laughs> for those that don't know, Asheville has the highest number uh, of breweries it's, it's per city. capita than anywhere else in, in the country. And so I say 18 breweries. It's yeah. like you go and you do a flight at one and then you go next door and you have uh-huh. a flight there. And so it's not,
1: it's not as bad as it sounds. Sure. Uh-huh. But, but yeah, uh, but yeah that, that was a good time. We visited a few breweries in Asheville last year uh-huh. on this pastoral cohort retreat. And one of my favorite breweries uh-huh. is in Asheville, uh, Sierra Nevada. Oh, yeah. But I've never visited Man, um, but I'd love to. It it's is my go-to. Uh,
0: so we here. we did go there, and I I kind of didn't want to because it's a California brewery. This is their East Coast plant. Yeah. It kind of seemed a little I don't know odd to go there. But we went there for for dinner, and we didn't get to take a tour, which uh, it was actually a bummer because you you pull up to this place, and the way that everyone in town described it to me um, that I think is accurate is it's it's as if willy wonka ran a brewery because it is the way that it's the architecture of the place just looks it looks like willy wonka's beer factory is really what it is and the food was phenomenal and of course you know their that would be, beer be fun really good too. and potentially dangerous <laughs> that's right that's right yeah that riverboat ride would be kind of yeah, wild right. <laughs> <laughs> on a river of beer instead uh, of a river of chocolate uh, oh man what are we talking about today yeah, we're talking I'm, about beer apparently um so you know it's a Presbyterian podcast, I guess. Um, anyway, that's uh, that's neither here nor there. Let's get into the topic at hand today, which is the P in tulip, perseverance of the sh- of the saints. and i always I always have to pause because I always want to say preservation of the mm-hmm. saints, which I think I actually like that term better, but perseverance of the saints is the official one. What is this, Michael? Why is it important?
1: Yeah, perseverance of the saints uh, means that the elect in Christ are not only redeemed by Christ and renewed by the Holy Spirit, they're also kept in faith by the power of God. In other words, true believers in Christ will persevere to Mm. the end. God doesn't begin something that he doesn't complete. Christ is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And I think as we define perseverance of the saints, a great technical definition for us can be found in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 17. And I'll just read it for you. The first, um, the first, uh, section there in chapter 17 it says, Those whom God has accepted in his son and has effectually called and sanctified by his spirit can never completely or finally fall out of their state of grace rather they shall definitely continue in that state to the end and are eternally yeah. saved and so this really falls in line with what we've been talking about over the past you know 8 or 9 weeks that if god is the one who started our salvation uh, if he is the one who has brought us in to salvation, he's the one who keeps us in. Yeah. If we didn't do anything to earn salvation or grace, we can't do anything to lose that salvation or grace. That's
0: right, and that's why I, I uh, you know, I often want to use the term preservation of the saints. I don't know why it rolls off my palate a little bit easier, but I think it, that might actually be a better term because perseverance does kind of conjure up this idea of. Um, you know, furled brow resisting temptation. Gosh darn it! I'm gonna persevere to the end, and it it makes it seem very much like this is something that I am sort of white knuckled doing on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you mentioned, as you mentioned, it even the perseverance of the Christian until the end is a God centered work in preserving that person.
1: Yeah, and if you don't hold to this, uh, it it presents some problems. Because if you think there's something about my salvation in the in the first place that is left up to me, I can never be sure that my part in the equation is good enough.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I don't think it's possible to have absolute invincible assurance of your salvation unless you're willing to swallow the pill that we've been unpacking over the past few weeks that I could do nothing. God did everything. The good news of the gospel is that God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, really, it, it really is a comforting um, uh, topic. Um, it's something that provides the Christian with a lot of assurance uh, and hope as they traffic uh, through this world and following Jesus.
0: So is a, is a clever way to say this, once saved, always saved? What do you think about that phrase?
1: Yeah, I think that um, that is uh, a phrase that, um, as worded, uh, makes sense. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so I think a good place to go, though, at this point would probably be to look at some places in the Bible where we see this um, doctrine put forth. And uh, the first place uh, we'll go is Jeremiah 32, uh, verse 40. It says this. I will make with them an everlasting covenant, this is God speaking, that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. So here you have God making a covenant, which is a promise, Mm -hmm. and God is saying, I made a promise, and therefore I won't turn away from doing good to you. Um, Really, the burden is on the Lord in this verse Uh, in order to accomplish a promise that He has made. And if you read the Old Testament, you know that God's people tried everything they could possibly do to get away from God's Mm -hmm. love. But God, because He is true to His promises, wouldn't allow them to escape uh, His faithfulness and His love and His grace. And so it really is God that makes and keeps promises despite us uh, in many cases. And then if you flip to the New Testament, you see Jesus actually speaking of perseverance of the saints, although he doesn't use that phrase. Uh, But in John chapter 6, verses 35 to 40, you read this. "'Jesus said to them, "'I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe.'" So here you have Jesus saying, I will lose none that the Father has given me. I'm going to raise them up on the last day. It's definitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus is talking about this as something that will be done. And then if you flip a few pages further, you'll get to John chapter 10, and verses 27 to 30. This is what Jesus says uh, again. He says, uh, beginning in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So here you see Jesus saying that nobody can take my people from me. No one is powerful enough to jeopardize your salvation. And guess what? That no one includes you. Mm -hmm. Uh, You aren't even able to sabotage your own salvation. Um, And then lastly, uh, the last place we'll look, although we could go to other places uh, for sure, but Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 28 to 30. Uh, Let me get there real fast. Um, This is what Paul says in Romans 8, beginning in verse 28. Um, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So this is really the unbreakable chain of mm-hmm. salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, those he predestined, he'll one day glorify. In other words, he won't begin something that he won't finish. And it's interesting that all of the words there are used in the past tense, like they've already been done. Uh, you can take it to the bank. If God has justified you, he is going to glorify you, so much so that we can speak of it as though it's already happened, mm-hmm. even though it hasn't. I'll just add
0: one more to the list. This is the one that always comes to mind uh, for me on this topic. It's Philippians 1, six says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But as we're thinking about this, this doesn't say that, this doesn't imply that Christians are. Um, perfected in a in an earthly sense or that Christians will never experience some falling away of grace does it
1: that's right we still battle against sin uh, even though we've been um, given the spirit even though we are living a new life uh, there's still aspects of the flesh uh, that are warring against the spirit in our hearts and souls. And so we will one day be without sin, but that is not today. Mm -hmm. And so as we follow Jesus in this fallen world, still battling sin in our hearts and souls, we will have doubts. uh, We will have backslidings uh, as we follow him. Um, There will be uh, times when we fall into grievous sin um, that uh, have consequences uh, for us. Mm -hmm. Um, But we will never lose our salvation if we're in Christ. God doesn't grant salvation by grace, but then all of a sudden take it back on the basis of demerit. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and I'll just add uh, this part from from the Confession, the same chapter that you referenced earlier. Uh, This is the third section. It says, Nevertheless, the temptations of Satan, the world, and their old carnal nature, along with neglect of the means of their preservation— May lead believers to commit serious sins and to continue in them for a time. They consequently displease God and grieve His Holy Spirit, have some of the fruits of God's grace and His comforts taken away from them, and their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and offend others, and bring temporal temporal judgments on themselves. So I think from this, we would say that um, a completely regenerate uh, Christian in a true state of saving faith uh, can commit and fall into states of radical and serious sin, but not so that they are, uh, finally or exclusively, uh, taken out of, of, of God's people.
1: That's right. I, I mean, you, you don't get much more devotional in some ways this, than the Westminster confession of faith. That's right. Um, it's really worth picking up and, and reading. You could probably read it in the 35, 40 minute, um, sit down mm-hmm. and, uh, Man, every time I read it, I'm I'm struck by how theologically rich it is, obviously, but also how applicable and pastorally sensitive it is. On the other hand, as it well, is. and you know, even when you read
0: in the New Testament about uh, times of church discipline, where you have a, uh, a a Christian who has sinned so grievously that it has to be brought before the elders of a church, and the final stage of this process is excommunication. Even there, it that that is done in the hopes that that person will one day come back. So I think that's right. sort of the uh, axiomatic expression for this, we might say is um, if you have it, you'll never lose it. If you lost, if you lost it, you never had it. Yeah. Maybe that's a reductionist way of looking at it, but
1: it might be a simplistic way mm-hmm. of looking at it. But I think that that, that statement you could probably defend.
0: Sure. Um, but this probably brings up some, some questions, not objections, you know, per se, but some, some questions like, Uh, Can a person have a false assurance? I think certainly there's um, false professions of faith, but can that be so serious as to lead to false assurance?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that folks can definitely have false assurance. People can think that they're Christians and not be Christians. Um, That's what Jesus talks about when he calls people hypocrites. Mm -hmm. Um, You hear Jesus... saying, at the end of time, people will come to me and say, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And Jesus is going to look at these people and say, away from me. Mm -hmm. I never knew you. And so obviously these are folks that thought they were uh, Christ followers, um, but they really weren't. Um, Just because there's an outward expression doesn't mean there's an inward work of the Spirit. Um, So what do you do when you feel insecure spiritually? Um, when you wonder, you know, I am messed up so bad. I feel so disconnected from God. I'm so spiritually bored and apathetic right now. Am I a Christian? Mm-hmm. Because I think that we all experience seasons in life uh, where we ask questions like that. And if the place you start and try and answer that question is to look to yourself to turn inward and look for whether or not you've jumped through enough hoops, that's the worst thing you can possibly do in those seasons. Because you'll always find problems and struggles that you're experiencing. If you're looking at how you're feeling or how you're doing or what you've done to try and answer the am I a Christian question, you'll always find problems. So don't begin trying to answer that question by looking at what you've done, but by looking at what God's done. Um, I've heard of people that were encouraged to write down the date when they became a Christian on a piece of paper so that the next time they doubt their salvation, they can go back and look at that. And I think that's even kind of a form of false assurance in some ways. Because in that moment, you're not believing in Jesus, but believing in your believing. Ah, yeah. Um, You made
0: the right choice, man. You did it all.
1: (laughs) I mean, and I, I, you know, even bringing that up, I I have in my first Bible the date that I was converted. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's uh, a sweet reminder um, and something that I, I cherish. Um, but, but not something I can look to right. um, in yeah. order to give me much assurance. Um, it can assure me some. Um, but the better thing would be to go back to the cross, right. uh, to start there, to say, despite my sin, despite my doubt, my struggles, he's my savior. Jesus paid it all. You're not saved based on the quality of your faith, but rather the object of your faith. And so, weak faith and a strong Savior saves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really dangerous, too, because, I mean, we just, when I mean, we feel different depending on the day and the weather and our mood and what's been done to us, yeah. uh, and uh, assurance has to, has to come from looking at Christ, um, not on our um, experience. That's right. I think
0: when people talk about assurance, we often talk about it on two different planes. There's... Um, there is an objective ass- assurance that we absolutely can have. You don't look to yourself, to your good deeds, or to your right choices. You look to the cross. If you ever doubt that you are, that you are um, that you are made right in God's sight, you look to the cross. Don't look at, at the mirror. Hmm. But there is a psychological component to this as well. Like you mentioned, some days are better than others, and some days you feel um uh it's frankly just some days you feel saved and some days you don't. So mm-hmm. can can the Christian ever have a uh, a strong sense of assurance in that way knowing that the objective assurance is what really matters?
1: So the objective basis for our salvation really is Jesus and what he's done for us, but there are ways where we can feel that salvation and be assured subjectively. Um, just off the top of my head, I think that the people that ask that question are in a good spot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because if you're even wondering, "Am I a Christian?" Um, that is a, a work of the Spirit in your heart. You're you're at least on a good trajectory um, if you're even considering that question. Other ways that we can kind of fuel the fire of assurance is the means of grace. Uh, which are what God's appointed uh, to grow us and to give us assurance in our lives. Things like scripture reading Mm -hmm. and prayer and being in community with one another and Sunday morning worship. Um, These are ordinary means that God has provided for us where we can actually feel his love tangibly, where we can see his love um, displayed in the sacraments physically Um, where we can uh, hear words of encouragement from his body, uh, fellow members, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so um, I think that there are ways where we can um, subjectively uh, feel uh, assurance of salvation if we put ourselves in the right spots.
0: But always important to remember, too, is um, something can be true whether or not I feel it or not. This, This idea of subjective assurance, which I think every Christian struggles with, uh, to some degree, um, I'll just read again from the Westminster confession. This is chapter 18, section three, the, the infallible, this infallible assurance is not so essential to faith that a true believer may not have doubts and conflicts about it, possibly wait some time for it and grow into it. So this is not something that from the time you are converted forever, you will have this deep and abiding sense of, of resting in Christ, um, it's something that could that can come and go, but always remembering that what matters is uh, looking outside of yourself into the cross, because
1: that's really where our assurance is. That's right. And it, this conversation right now reminds me of Psalm seventy three, where you've got uh, it's a Psalm of Asaph, and he's looking around uh, at all the unbelievers in his life, and he's discouraged because they seem to be prospering and he is not, uh, and he's wondering is all of this for naught. And uh, and what he does in the midst of that is uh, in verse 16, he picks up and says, When I thought of how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. And so you see that with his doubt, he went to worship. And when he walks into the sanctuary of God, that's when the psalm turns. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, it ends with some of the most beautiful words in the the Psalter uh, where he says, Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And so in the midst of his doubt, he's doing what we were just talking about. Entering the sanctuary of God, engaging the mm-hmm. ordinary means of grace, and uh, and through those ordinary means, God really turns his heart back towards some sense of assurance.
0: Yeah, that that's a great point. Um, I, I think this is all the material that I have. Is there anything else that you wanna uh finish with for the good of the group?
1: You know, um I think that uh it's a good place to stop. This is kind of an easy, uh well, not an easy um um Comparatively to what we've been talking it about, it is over sort the past of axiomatic weeks, to the first four. It is like fairly easy, it, yeah.
0: Kind of um, the first four kind of build on one another, and and to me, perseverance of the saints is kind of it doesn't necessarily flow in the chain, but kind of answers some of the questions that are raised by the by the other four.
1: Yeah, so, no, I know. think that it's a good place to stop. If folks have questions, they can send them in, and we can address those uh, specifically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we're going to be taking a break. Um, kind of a long break between now and uh, just through the Christmas season, Christmas and Thanksgiving season. So we'll pick back up with TGC midweek um, in the new year. Uh, If you have uh, topics or, or items that that you think um, might be a good subject for a podcast, we'd love to hear that. Um, And if you have questions about the Sunday sermons or about what you're reading in God's word, send those in as well. And and we would love to take a stab at those. You can email those questions questions to, michael at TrinityGraceSA.org. or you can text them anonymously to 210-920-0783. We'll see you in the new year. This has been TGC Midweek with Jacob and Michael.